technology is changing enormously and any seller who does not get good at embracing technology is destined to go the way of the dodo bird is my view. Welcome to the State of Sales Enablement Podcast with your host, Felix Kruger. Insights and actionable advice from B2B marketing and sales experts that share what it takes to achieve sales enablement excellence. Sales technology is currently experiencing exponential growth because it can increase effectiveness and efficiency of any sales team. Our guest in this week's episode has witnessed the rise and the explosion of the sales tech space over the last 35 years as an individual contributor, sales leader, and CEO. Please welcome keynote speaker, best-selling author, management consultant, and sales trainer, Tony Hughes. Tony, welcome to the State of Sales Enablement. Thanks, Felix, for having me on the show. I am really looking forward to the conversation. Tony, you have been around for a while, especially in the Australian market, but also overseas. But I suspect there's still a few people that haven't come across your name or your content. So please give us a brief overview of your journey so far in the sales space and what you do now. Well, I started in selling at age 25. I rose through the ranks, changed industries, ended up running the Asia Pacific region for North American software companies. So I was CEO of OpenText, running APAC for them for a while, founded Sugar CRM in the Asia Pacific region. But about 10 years ago, I decided to leave the corporate world of being a CEO and went out on my own to follow my passion, which is how to help people thrive in what is without doubt, I think the toughest and most important role in any organization. And that's how do we crack the code in driving consistent, profitable top-line revenue growth. So I've published three books, all of which have become business bestsellers. My latest book is Tech Powered Sales. It's a follow-up to the book Combo Prospecting. And both of those books are designed to help people build sales pipeline. I've ended up consulting to some of the best-known brands in the world. So people like Salesforce, DocuSign, Adobe, SAP are all companies and brands that I work with helping their sales teams be successful. Excellent. Quite an impressive career journey so far. Tony, tell us from when you started your sales career at the age of 25 up until now, how has the sales tech stack evolved and how has the way sales reps interact with technology evolved over time? Technology has changed enormously. Right now, we're living in the fourth industrial revolution and everything that went on for that two-year period in the world around COVID really served as a catalyst for creating a digital first world. And owners of businesses, CEOs, people sitting around those boardroom tables realize that this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to really drive change that leaves a legacy. There's an opportunity for every business leader to concurrently do two things that in the past might've been mutually exclusive. And those two things are, how do I aggressively drive cost out of acquiring and retaining customers? And the other thing is, at the same time, how do I drive up customer user experience in a way that drives stronger loyalty? And you used to have to invest a lot of money if you wanted to be able to do that. And now you can drive cost out of business and at the same time drive experience up. And one of the predictions that we make in Tech Powered Sales, because I co-authored that book with Justin Michael out of the USA, but one of the predictions that I personally made in the book is that one third of field 
business to business salespeople will disappear this decade. So if we compare when I first got into selling, I've just turned 60 and I began selling when I was 25, but it's changed enormously. Absolutely today, the buyer is certainly in more control. They certainly feel empowered. I think the reality is often the buyer is bewildered rather than empowered because there's just so much information that they've got access to. But the reality is, is sellers need to provide genuine insights and value in conversations if they want to have any chance of breaking through. We need to recognize that buyers can seek and find social validation, what we call social proof of whether we're worth having on a shortlist and talking to. So today, one of the most important strategies for success in selling is the strategy of having successful customers, because certainly referrals and trigger events are really important. But technology itself has changed absolutely enormously. It was back in 1997 that IBM's Deep Blue beat Gary Kasparov in chess. Now, that was just really brute what-if analysis with computers. And then in 2011, so this is a long time since 1997 to 2011, IBM Watson won Jeopardy. And that's really tough. That's abstract, natural language reasoning, the ability for the computer to speak. The computer at the time was the size of a giant bedroom filled with mainframes. Now it's the size of two pizza boxes. But there's no Jeopardy champion in the world that has any chance of beating IBM Watson. And then five years later, 2016, DeepMind was acquired by Google and AlphaGo. It's the oldest game in the world. It's about two and a half thousand years old. The options in the game, the complexity are just insane. But AlphaGo beat Lee Sedal, who was the 18 times world champion at AlphaGo. So that's massive complexity. And there was this amazing thing called, I think it was Move 36 or Move 37 or something, where AlphaGo did a move that there was just the minutest of probability a human would have ever done it. And it used that move to beat Lee Sedal in one of the games. But, you know, we're going from narrow AI to a period of general AI. Whether we ever achieve super AI, this thing of the singularity is still yet to be determined. But two years after this in 2018, Google Duplex started phoning people and booking appointments and the human beings on the other end of the call had no idea they were interacting with a human. And these were really complex interactions. So computers have in essence passed the Turing test. Can a computer interact with a human, not just on a keyboard and a screen, but now in a phone call and pass the test? If you look at what's happening with deep fake and AI technology, it's getting closer to being able to maybe do this on a video call. At the moment, they still look a little creepy, <laughs> but technology is changing enormously. And any seller who does not get good at embracing technology is destined to go the way of the dodo bird is my view. That's right. Yeah. It's funny what you say about the video calls. I think it's the eyes where <laughs> the, uh, the AI falls over, but we're getting pretty close, as you said. But just to come back to what you said about where technology is at today, obviously with great power comes great responsibility. And you see business leaders having great power at the fingertips. There's thousands of vendors they can choose from. And sellers also have great power with the sort of scale that they're able to achieve with the tech tools that they have on hand. But what strikes me still, and that's not only in terms of my work of interacting with organizations, but also me interacting with salespeople trying to sell me something, that there's oftentimes a misuse of power in the sense that the tech tools that have been put in place 
aren't necessarily put in place for the benefit of the buyer and don't really achieve what they set out to do. So my question is, how should sales leaders really go about growing their tech stack and is more always better? So more is not always better. <laughs> There's a bewildering array of tech that anybody could use. So in the book, we talk about the essential stack and then the advanced stack or the optional stack. So if we think about the essentials, I think anyone in business to business selling, even B2C would recognize that we need a single source of truth about our prospects and customers and partners so that we can effectively manage the life cycle of our interactions with them. And that's obviously where you need some kind of CRM system and a CRM system that integrates marketing automation, I would say is really essential. Then for the individual people, obviously they need a smartphone, <laughs> but everybody normally, you know, it's a bring your own device world now with a laptop and a phone typically. But at a business level, we need a CRM system that can deliver effective customer and employee experience and bring sales and marketing together. It's really important that we implement CRM in a way that aligns our selling process with the buyer's journey and enables us to interact in an omni-channel world. That's really important. And we want to capture the interactions. If you implement a CRM system in a way that does not give your salesperson back their time, if you implement a CRM system that does not enable their own sales process, then you're doomed to failure with the CRM. You cannot have it as just this manage up database and reporting tool. That's really, really important. So think about things like web to lead. If someone touches your website and you want to push a lead to a salesperson, does that web to lead process happen within CRM? Are you prompting the person to capture the discovery and qualification information? Are you making it easy for them to send follow-up information? So that's really important. The next thing I would say that's essential beyond CRM and marketing automation together would be social or networked intelligence tools. So in the world of business to business selling, something like sales navigator would be really essential. It's in essence, the modern yellow pages. It's a self-weeding database where all of the people that we'd want to get to in a business to business selling world are typically there. And it's a self-weeding garden. People are self-motivated to keep it up to date. So sales navigator is really essential. And then you want some data enrichment tools. So you want to be able to get, for example, a Chrome plugin that would work with Navigator or work with your CRM that enables you to source mobile phone numbers, cell phone numbers, email addresses. I'd say it's very important to be able to monitor for trigger events that occur. Trigger events in the marketplace give us context for outreach. And then on top of that, I would then say we can then get into, and again, this is still part of the optional stack. We can then get into things like sales engagement platforms. So if you're a Salesforce customer within Salesforce, there's a thing called high velocity sales or high velocity selling, HVS. It's a cadencing tool within the platform. If you're using something standalone, it's things like outreach.io or salesloft are examples of these kinds of tools, but they help us design and build the right sequences. Really important to add the right personalization to be effective in those. And then the last bits of the essential stack, depending on the sort of operation you're running, but telephony integration, parallel assisted dialing, so you can help your people be more effective on the phone, things like gong, recording the calls, doing coaching for people, 
And that's really the essential stack along with your basic collaboration and engagement tools, a thing like Zoom, for example, run video calls. But that's what I'd say is the essential stack. About a year ago, a tech startup would be spending about $1,000 US per month per sales employee. One of the things we predict in tech powered sales is that that will go up to as high as $5,000 per month per rep when you look at equipping people with the tech. So there'll be fewer sellers, they'll be better enabled with technology, and there'll definitely be a trend to more inside selling and less field selling. Got it. Let's say a business leader makes a step on investing into the optional stack and possibly also in the advanced stack. Considering how fast technology moves, how important is it these days to actually look at the roadmap of tech vendors? Because it's obviously not a question of just set and forget. You want to be strategic about the investments. Is that something that you see being a heavy focus when tech investments are made in the sales space? Yes. And whenever you go to market to buy something, the way we define whether it's fit for purpose is really important. And the risks that we identify in the decisions we make are really important. And the worst thing you can do is buy something that does what you need right now. And for example, I work with a lot of scale-up businesses. And a lot of the times they'll start with a very basic CRM system. If I can mention some brand names, is that okay, Felix? Go for it. Yeah. So maybe they'll start with something like a pipe drive or something like a sugar. So they'll just start with a low-cost CRM. But what they discover is once they raise some capital and start to grow, they're then thinking, wow, well, we actually need to bring sales, marketing, service, and support all together. The marketing automation piece becomes increasingly complex and important. We need to build some cadences and sequences into all of this well. We need to find a way to align selling process with buyer's journey. We need to enable the process for the sellers. And then all of a sudden they find that that CRM they bought initially does not scale well for them. So I've come across a lot of people in business that selected a CRM initially because it was cheap. And then they end up migrating to something like Salesforce, right? And they end up saying to me, we just should have selected Salesforce the first time round. It was a lot more expensive and a lot more painful to do something cheap and try to have to migrate to the real thing we needed to drive scale and growth. So roadmap is critically important. And the thing for everybody watching this, if you're a business leader, it's a giant mistake for you as a business leader to think that you're a software company, unless you are actually a software company, right? But, <laughs> but if you're a financial services business, the whole notion that, hey, we can just build our own CRM or we can build our own automation pieces is a giant mistake, giant mistake. That's right. So we do live in the world of mashups where you can mash different technologies together really well. You can absolutely do that with web services and the way that modern architecture is being deployed. But if you go with someone like a Salesforce, well, they're making the big bets on where AI and all of these technologies are going in automation for you. So pick your technology partner really well and be very wary of going cheap. He's thinking, unless this scales, unless this can still be a good partner for you, with what they're doing on their platform or platforms in five years' time, then it was probably a mistake. Yeah. Uh, building your own CRM. I already feel tired just thinking about it, so don't even go there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think for anybody who thinks that's a good idea, just ask yourself when Qantas started to build their own planes. 
And the answer, of course, is they haven't. <laughs> no. Well, Felix, if I can tell you an interesting true story, and I, I mustn't mention the brand names because this story was told to me by the CEO of the company, but this is one of the biggest software companies in the world. They do, in essence, ERP software, but for a very specific domain. I won't say what the domain is because it'll give away who the company is. It's not an SAP or someone like that, but ERP system for a specific industry. One of the biggest customers that they have, they're on their books now, but when they went to them originally about eight years ago and tried to sell to them, this company said, no, no, thanks for all the demos and all the information and the two years of engagement, but we're just going to build this ourselves. The punchline of the story was $100 million later of wasted money, they gave up and they came back to this company and became a customer. Yeah. $100 million, if you can believe this, trying to build a very industry-specific CRM and logistics support system. They're not a software company. Well, like, what are you doing trying to build software? Anybody that's been in software knows that it's insanely expensive. It's incredibly difficult. It's full of pain and disappointments. Just find the right company to partner with. So as a business leader, making the step to actually invest into technology is the first step. Arguably, it's also the easier step, even though it's already hard. So you have to do all the vetting of vendors, you watch dozens of demos, you then make the purchase decision, but that's actually when the journey starts in terms of you actually extracting value out of the platform. And you having been in a leadership position as a CEO as well, from your perspective, how do you manage the human element of introducing sales technology? Because you obviously need to make sure that the sales people, which are still core of the sales process, are on board and actually adopting it. So Felix, that's a great question. We've always known that it's people, processes, and then technology. <laughs> so how is this technology going to enable processes for our partners, our customers, our staff in a way that makes things easier and gives them their time back? That's really critical. And then the other thing for people themselves, how does this give them a great experience? How does it make their life easier? So we need people on board. And every leader is smart enough today to know that you can't just say, get on the bus <laughs> or you're going to get run over, right? The thing they know is we have to take people on the journey with us because otherwise people will nod and say yes, but in the background, they're white anting the initiative you're trying to roll out in an organization. So people need to feel not threatened. They need to feel that this is in their best interests. So for example, if you're looking at applying technologies to augment the way that a human role is performed. You want to make sure that people believe, and it needs to be true, by the way, this is not about tricking anybody. It needs to be true that this technology will initially, it'll make their life easier and give them their time back, not to enable us to get rid of those people, <laughs> but to enable them to focus on higher value work, more rewarding and fulfilling work, work that embraces more of the human element. So we want to use technology to automate repetitive process. We want technology doing the things that tech does well and the humans doing the things that they do well. So for a leader, really think about how is this going to give people back their time? How does this make life easier for them? Give them a better experience that'll cause them to enjoy working, being a customer of ours or being an employee of ours, because that'll drive loyalty. And then how do we enable different processes so that it actually pays for itself? Because unless you're giving people back their time, driving stronger loyalty. But the big mistake is to get human beings doing what they don't do well <laughs> or trying to get technology to do things it does not do well. So for example, 
people are trying to use tech today in the world of sales to automate the personalization of sales messaging and marketing messaging. And I have to say, all it's doing is generating massive amounts of expensive spam that's resulting in getting domains blocked and burning through a list quickly and damaging a brand. So normally the humans will do the personalization piece far more effectively. But what technology can do, for example, is it can monitor for trigger events that give the human being the context for why they're running the outreach. Tech can monitor account risk that then a real human being can look at how they can best manage. Got it. And you mentioned process as well, which is also always a big question because assuming that the sales team has bought into what the technology is doing, they're not feeling threatened. They say, okay, let's do it. But then there's the element of process and whether the process is pre-existent and you apply technology to it, or you're introducing technology and process at the same time, which is obviously a risk for effective implementation. Have you seen any examples in market on how the introduction of new processes and new technology have been managed effectively? The best examples that I've come across, and let's maybe go back to CRM, because there's something anybody can really understand. We're all using CRM. If you implement a CRM system in a way that embeds a sales methodology, so let's maybe say, for example, you use Medic or MedPIC. I think mean, it's about five derivations of Medic. <laughs> but if you kind of use that as a qualification and discovery framework, so that's a methodology. It's not a process at all. But then you think, okay, we're going to implement CRM. We're going to do our web to lead process. going to automate that so people receive a lead in CRM. We'll give them a headset dialer so they can phone out of CRM. It'll record the call. We'll plug in Gong so it gives them call coaching. We're applying AI. We can let the seller know when they were buying signals that they missed. We can let the caller know that the talk time ratios are off. Where's the seller talking too much? The buyer's not talking enough. So all of that really helped them in their role. But as they're having the call with a headset, they've got their hands free. They can start to type in their notes. Now we're giving them time back. They're not making paper notes. They're able to look at the person on a screen call. If it's a Zoom call or a phone call, they can be talking to them, typing in their notes, and it'll prompt them based on the stage of the sale. We'll now start to implement sales process, right? So we've got a methodology of, say, medic as a methodology. We now need, say, a five-stage sales process. So we're going to move into the initial qualification discovery phase. So it'll prompt them on those questions. It'll, in essence, playbook and guide them through the process. So that would be an example of implementing tech wealth. We're going to put CRM in, but we'll put it in the business in a way where it enables our, for example, Medic or Taz or Miller Hyman or my own RSVP, you know, selling methodology is going to enable the methodology. It's going to take them through deal stages. It'll prompt them on the best questions to ask. Now we'll get adoption, but it will help us improve our win rates. Now, also touching on the human element, one of the terms that you mentioned in the book is TQ. Can you just explain that term to me? Felix, to be successful in life, in the world of selling or politics or business, we all know that you need very high EQ, emotional quotient. You need to understand yourself and others and be able to read a room and understand and navigate politics. So emotional quotient, EQ is really important. You also need reasonable IQ. You don't need to be Mensa level genius. You don't need to be a rocket science. I've often argued that sales is not rocket science. It's much harder than that. <laughs> but you don't need massive IQ, but you can't be dumb 
and be successful in life. So we need IQ and EQ. What we need to layer onto that today is this concept of TQ, technical quotient. And TQ is really our ability to work effectively with the technologies that can augment what we're doing and extend our reach and make us more effective. So if we think about tech, tech is really good at filtering big data, monitoring for trigger events, doing what-if analysis and pattern matching. It can automate repetitive tasks. Machine learning can start to see patterns and give us informed analysis. So we want the technology to do those things, but what we want the human being to do is to play to their strengths. So things like fun and humor, I don't think machines will ever do that well. Genuine empathy, storytelling, building belief. The foundation of selling is it's the transference of belief in the value that we offer. So belief and trust are important. Humans can manage ambiguity. We can set a vision for a brighter future with somebody and help them secure consensus. We can help them build a business case. So this whole thing of imagination, curiosity, creativity, innovation, navigating complex politics, machines will never do this. So we want the humans focused on those pieces. But for anybody watching this in sales, the way to future-proof your career is to get away from this notion that the value I provide is in the relationship. I'm great at relationships. I'm therefore okay. Tech will never be able to provide a relationship like I do. Well, the sobering truth, if that's your view, is that people don't want relationships with you. They're not looking for another salesperson in their life. If I just think about my own life with banking, I don't have any friends at the bank. I've never met my bank manager. If I never have to walk into a bank branch and deal with a human being for the rest of my life, I'll be very happy. Just give me an app, give me a good website to log into. And if I need to talk to someone, a business banker, I can phone. And that's what my bank does for me. I just want a great experience in interacting with the bank. Something that gives me my time back, is secure and that I can trust. It makes it easy for me. That's what I want. I don't want a relationship. So for all of us in selling, we need to redefine the value that we provide that causes someone to actually value the relationship. And it's not checking in, catching up, having coffee, socializing. People absolutely just want their time back is my experience. So if you can bring a level of IQ and TQ with EQ and then implement a tech stack so some kind of platform that enables all of this, that's how you become what Justin and I call in the book, a cyborg or a salesborg. <laughs> so you're the best of human and machine elements to drive levels of success that your competition can't come close to. And what do you say, generally speaking, from a development point of view, salespeople should own that development of their TQ, or is that something you think organizations should be set up to future-proof their sales teams? So, Felix, I'm going to get very brutal here. Imagine that you and I were walking down the aero bridge at the airport to board a flight. And as we step into the threshold of the aircraft, the sort of galley is behind the air crew member asking to see our boarding pass. And we glance to the left, we have a look in the cockpit, and we overhear the pilot say to the co pilot, Hey, look, I love flying. I'm just not into all the tech. Like, you just think, my God, I've got to turn around to get off this aeroplane. And the reality is salespeople can make as much as doctors, dentists, lawyers, pilots make amazing money. 
And yet all of those professions will give up seven to 10 years of their life, 11 years of their life in some cases to earn the right to practice and make the money. And yet so many sellers say things like, oh, look, I'm just not into reading. And I think, really, really? Would a pilot not be into reading? They are voracious readers. They're reading all of the air crash investigation reports. They're thinking, I need to learn from what's happened to others so that it doesn't happen to me and my passengers. So you can't be a professional and not be a reader. You cannot be a professional and not be committed to continuous improvement. There's another business I've started called Sales IQ Global, not as a shameless plug, but we've created e-learning programs around all of my IP and other people's IP, but we've got a program called Create Pipeline. So it tells you everything you need to do to be able to consistently self-generate quality pipeline. And we take people through the program and they just skim through the e-learning content. They don't do the apply task. And you think, how can you call yourself a professional when you're not committed to using what it is that your company's provided for you? So it's a long-winded answer, but most companies provide a lot of enablement. Sellers feel like they're drinking from a fire hose often, but they should be committed to their own professional development. I would encourage them, buy books. If you're not reading a book a month, how can you call yourself a professional? You should be doing e-learning. You should be doing everything you can to get yourself enabled and especially build your technical quotient. Most of us feel we're pretty okay with having a conversation, but again, most sellers aren't. They don't ask great questions. They really do not ask great questions. They're not good at competitive strategy. So core sales skills and your TQ are really critical. Tony, on that note, thank you so much for joining today. And if anybody wants to really take ownership of the development and follow more of your content and possibly connect with you online, where can they do that? The best thing is to feel free to follow or connect with me in LinkedIn. So just search for Tony Hughes in LinkedIn. I've also got a personal website, tonyhughes.com.au. And there's lots of free content. This recording will end up with a link on that website to this as well, but all of the podcasts and webinars I've ever done are all there for free. And the other thing is if you go to salesiqglobal.com, if you're interested in e-learning and other free content, there's lots of good information there. So Felix, thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining, Tony. And we will drop all of those links that you mentioned in the show notes, of course. Great to finally catch up with you and I hope to speak to you soon again. Bye-bye. next time on the state of sales enablement hi this is felix kruger and devin mcdermott sales enablement is one of the fastest growing business trends globally and it's hard to keep up with all the information that's out there that's why felix and i have teamed up to curate the latest industry news expert insights research reports and social media buzz for you if you want to be in the know and operate on the cutting edge of sales enablement this month in sales enablement has you covered Visit thestateofsalesenablement.com to register for the live stream or subscribe to the State of Sales Enablement on all major podcast platforms.